I'm going to, every week, I'm going to recommend books and uh, email or website kind of things. And one of the most important tools for apologetics is having a Bible. So we should all have Bibles because today we're just going to burn pages through the Bible. So part of doing apologetics is knowing the scriptures. (laughs) And so um, a really excellent tool that I just only recently became aware of because of some of my friends, uh, like, like probably Todd and myself are one of the few last standing people within the walls of regeneration that have these libraries of books, piles of books that we, we go through and find one page and then we pull it out. Well, now there's this great resource called eSword, eSword.com, where you can get 26 translations for free, commentaries, Greek and interlinear, uh, for Hebrew and Greek, so, you know, it's a lot of good stuff, and there's commentaries on there, and you can download as much as you want for free, you use it, and so, this is going to be a great resource, not, not necessarily for this class, but for you and your own personal study, and for having tools available to you, and I, wasn't well, the last class about uh, studying the Bible, the tools and stuff like that, or interpretation, so, that would be something that you definitely implement in that. So I'm going to pray, and then I have a video to start us off with. And I'm just like a high media production. Did I lose something? Okay. Uh, okay. Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now. We just thank you for this day and this opportunity to be in your word, to be in fellowship of the Spirit, Lord God. And I ask that everything that we do and say today would... Bring us closer to you and help us realize the importance of what it is uh, to be in faith, Lord God, but also to fight for the faith. And we just thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, let me see if I can do this without extreme torture to myself. Yes, this is Star Wars. Have I watched? All his life has he looked away to the future. 
horizon, never his mind on where he was, <clears throat> what he was doing. <clears throat> Adventure. <laughs> Excitement. <laughs> Jedi craves not these things. You are reckless. So was I, if you remember. He is too old. I want to eject. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> so the point being to that is one of the things that's said about being a Jedi is he said his mind is far away. His mind is focusing on things way ahead rather than dealing with what's now and that he doesn't have the patience. And you might be sitting in this class and even for the next six weeks soon. Well, why do I have to come to sixth class? Why do I got to be here so many times? I'm ready to go now. I know John 3.16. I can go out there. Come on. Again, it's just there's the being a Jedi, so to speak, being an apologetist. You, yeah, you should know scripture, but you have to have discipline behind it. Because otherwise, like one of the things it says in scripture, we're to speak the truth in love. So a lot of people have truth and they go out there. And one of the examples of hanging out at the coffee shop where I hang out at and talk to people is I talk about how, like, Jesus had the, the sword in his mouth in Revelation, but then Peter's the one who hacked off the ear of the servant with the sword. And what happens is we encounter people, either they've been hurt by church or people with big swords, and their hearing is cut off. And so one of the things I have to do before I can talk to somebody and say, oh, here's the Bible... Because all they see is a giant sword coming at them that they've been hacked up with. Is I pray for their hearing to be healed. And then we can deal with the God that they're afraid of and so forth. And so one of the other special things is a Jedi, an adventure, excitement he craves not. Okay. So, yes, I have it on a t-shirt. Don't mock me. Um, one of my favorite persons that I, I, I like... See, I told you it was going to be entertaining. I did not lie. Um, oh, that's November. I want February. Okay. I read this yesterday, and I went to a concert yesterday, and I ended up in an apologetic moment out there as well, uh, talking to somebody about their church. And uh, and I think this was very befitting. This is from A.W. Tozer. This is my, my, my annual calendar. And for yesterday, it said on February the 13th, the holy men and women of the past, mourned for him, they prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, uh, when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. So one of the things that we're doing in apologetics, and you have a little syllabus, it has the sessions and what we're going to do today. So session one today is, why apologetics, what is truth, and what are the essentials of defending the faith? So, 
One of the things we're going to find out for apologetics is like I could come up here and say all the scriptures that I know and, you know, I could just vomit all this stuff on you and here's all this information and then you're just like, okay, I got all this stuff. What am I going to do with it? But actually what I'm going to show you and kind of what's going to happen to Luke Skywalker, there's something inside of you and I'm going to pull it out. Now, for some people, it's going to be uncomfortable. For other people, it's going to be like, oh, I didn't know that was there. And so... Um, in doing this, I, I'm going to say this from the start. I have other videos that I'm going to show. You know, Star Wars, we can go, oh, cute, you know, Yoda and Ewoks and all the kind of thing. But I have other videos that are going to be quite serious. And I'm just going to say, you might be emotionally disturbed severely by them. So, yeah. And, and just, if you are, you know, I want you to be impacted by it, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it. So if you get extremely disturbed, you can look away or just close your ears or do something. Uh, also, in, in apologetics, one of the things that's very good to do is if you have somebody teaching and they say something, uh, not just go after them right away and lob their head off, but say, hey, you know, when you said that, I disagreed. And uh, this is what I understood. So you want to get understanding and clarity before you jump to the conclusions and leaps and stuff of what somebody's all about. Because uh, in the words of one of my, my professors in, at uh, college, uh, he taught the theology class, and one of the things he said is, Today I plan to teach you about God, and I plan to teach you heresy, but not because I want to, but that's because I'm frail and fragile, and I'm only doing it with the information I know. So all of us, in our various ways, we all have little heresies and quirks. And some of us, we just haven't been shown why they are. So when I go through this class, if I hit something, because inevitably we do, if I hit something that doesn't agree with your viewpoint, I'd be glad to talk to you about why we have alternating viewpoints. And so that gets us to, our, in our list here, what are the good rules of the apologetics? It's one of the things, and it's a big old acrostic, or I didn't, I think that's the right way to say that. A equals P equals. And we're going to just look at that. Um, a is always pray individually and with others in the spirit. So basically, being an uh, apologetist is you have to be a person of prayer. You don't just have knowledge and go out and just start, you know, I know more than you know kind of thing. Uh, P is for pre-evangelism. Uh, you have to establish strength in the Christian essentials of faith. And that's what today is about. We, we have to be prepared with the foundation. One of the things that uh, apologetics is not about is it's not about issues. Like abortion is an issue. Gay marriage is an issue. All these things are issues. But unless you have the foundation correct, there's no way you can deal with those issues. So just like it says in 1 Corinthians 3 about there's no under other foundation which we can lay except Christ, we have to have the essentials of what we know about Christ complete and solid. Otherwise, when we start to deal with issues, say like abortion, you have to deal with one, well, who's God? And why do we believe this? And, you know... So you can get into those issues, but only first when you have the essentials and the foundation established and stable. Because 
any any contractor type people in here? You, if you ever try to build a house without a foundation, you can put all the nice stuff in it, but eventually it will collapse. It will just totally fall apart. So there's my little build, you know, Bob the Builder spiel there. Okay. Uh, the O are obstacles are to be removed as the spirit leads. Uh, sometimes people, because they're focused on issues and not focusing on the truth part, they want to say, oh, well, I need to have that person stop smoking before I can, you know, deal with that. Well, how about pray for them? You know, if that's an obstacle for you, then it's an obstacle for you. But it's not an obstacle for God. Because truth kind of goes through the smoke and gets into the heart. So, whatever you think is an obstacle needs to be prayed for. Okay. Uh, L. Love God, your neighbor, and yourself. Uh, one of the most important things of apologetics is you don't want to be in here and not love people. Because, I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Again, it's we speak the truth in love. It's not just speak truth and make all these people feel bad or get angry with us and all this kind of thing. It's about you really care about people and you don't want them to be in deception. You don't want them to be in lies. Oh, again, uh, you want to overcome discouragement from your past, present, and future. Uh, you know, if I stand up here, I stand up here because of the grace of God, and I could talk about all kinds of bad things that happened in my life or whatever and say, well, I can't tell God to anybody because I had this happen or that happen. <coughs> God's willing to use you as you are right here, right now. And so whatever the enemy tries to throw in your face is, well, you can't talk to that person because of X, Y, Z. It's not good. Um, G, which we'll definitely talk about today, the gospel uh, message given simply and often as needed. Uh, we should know what the gospel is and be able to present that over and over again versus like another issue or non-essential topics because we'll talk about non-essential topics later on is you walk up to somebody and say, hey, do you know what Levitical sacrifices were? <laughs> you know, and how about your church? What do you believe about, you know, women pastors and all this other kind of stuff? You could get into that issue, but you know what? That's not the gospel. The gospel is... Anybody want to try? Raise your hand. Okay. Christ life. Christ crucified. Resurrected. There we go. So we're gonna, we want to create for ourselves something that not only that you remember me saying, but that you remember for yourself. So like one of the things when somebody says, well, what's grace? Because you hear, you know, amazing grace and you hear all this stuff. Uh... I remember it, and I'm not even sure where I got it from, but I got it from somebody because everything in apologetics is horribly borrowed. But, um, in fact, even this thing, I don't even know where I got this from, but I, I know I stole it from somewhere. Um, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, so everything that God has for you came at the cost of Christ, you know. So, again, I don't know where I stole that from, but... It wasn't an original thought with me. But again, the gospel message given simply and often as needed. So when you come to church, when you're out and about and you're at your workplace, you, you give the gospel message. Hey, you know, what are you doing for Easter? That's giving the gospel message. Well, what's Easter? Or like the movie that's coming up, The Passion. Hey, have you seen that movie yet? You know, are you going to see that movie? Why or why not? 
Okay. Uh, e, encourage friendships and not just converts. <laughs> know who you're talking to. My personal personality type really, really hates shallowness. <laughs> so I've had, if, if you want to really make me mad, come up to me and say, hey, how's it going? And then walk away before I can get an answer out. That will make me very upset. But again, some people can be that way. And, you know, because I'm willing to say the answer, but sometimes I've been so afraid to that, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm good. So at one point in my life, and I'll talk about this after I get, get through this in my testimony, I was in such a position in a place that, you know, at this one church, I finally decided, you know what, I'm giving up on this game. So I just want, I just want to put a gun to my mouth and blow my head off. And they actually walked and say, oh, great, God bless you, and walked away. So I go, that's not the church to be at anymore. Okay. So anyway, know who you're talking to. That was the whole point. Know who you're talking to, because I've seen a lot of people Bible thump. I've seen a lot of people Bible thump, and basically they want, you know, they want to give you the four spiritual laws, they want to convert, and then they put a notch on their Bible, and then go on, and they do hit-and-run Christianity, you know. They run you down throw you in a church somewhere and they don't even know what that church is about even if they get you to church and then you know God's blessings to you okay uh, T truth of all kinds are absolute and don't make up stuff one of the worst things that can happen and, and I learned this long time ago in a homiletics class on learning how to speak uh, the person the teacher who was teaching the class gets up and says I want to tell you a story about my life, and he goes through this elaborate story talking about how he lived on a farm and had a rowboat with a pond and a dog and stuff, and one day he went out on the pond, and he decided to throw a stick out for his dog, and the dog jumps out, and then, you know, he basically ends up killing his dog, and he's telling all this story, right, and then he says, now that was a lie, he goes, I grew up in this city, it was all a lie. But the thing is, I got you to an emotional point, and I got you to a point to agree with something about Christ. Never, ever, ever just make emotional points or make up stuff to get people to say, oh, that's true, I believe it, because that's where we get all our Christian urban legends from. And uh, so we're, we start basing our things on, well, I heard somebody talk about the vanishing hitchhiker, so I know it's true, you know, or I heard this is happening over here. And it all becomes all this hearsay rather than, well, here's truth. And so I'm always suspicious when people say something. Maybe, okay, suspicious. I'll say suspicious. When somebody says something and then there's no quote, oh, I read this in Time Magazine and it's in this issue, so then I can go look it up myself. Because what will constantly happen, and as we get into the cults, they're going to tell you stuff. And they're going to say, oh, this backs me up. This historical thing backs me up. And they might even say a name. But then you go read it, it's an incomplete quote. It, it's, it's not even a quote that's from that person, you know. It was something that was brought out of them by torture, you know. So all kinds of things. <laughs> torture is funny to somebody. Okay. <laughs> Ushers. Okay. Um, part of Another part of apologetics is... Uh, being able to illuminate and illustrate to be a master of life connections and parables. So just like I said about lying about a life connecting thing, 
you should be able to, like, like what I was talking about with the coffee shop, you know, this girl comes up and she says that she's a cosmic dust bunny and all this thing. And, you know, at, at this point, there's other people watching me that I brought with me to church. And they're just saying, how is he going to handle this one? Because uh, they're, they were getting afraid and just, I'm like, well, that question doesn't hurt me. That question doesn't hurt God. So let, let, let's see, where's the truth in that? And so one of the things that was the basic ending to that conversation is that I said, well, you say you, there's no absolute truth. Everything's relative. But I'm telling you, truth is absolute. But we both can't be right. And, and I go, here's one thing I do know, is that the God that I serve is truth, love, and light. What can you say about your God? And be sure about it. You know, and then that she was like really not, you know, I didn't hit her upside the head or anything with that comment, but it made her stop and she kind of stopped spinning with the rhetoric. She goes, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm like, okay, you know, and so she knows where to find me. She knows I'm there every Thursday teaching my Bible study. So I'm sure she'll come back. Um, Christ, uh, be Christ-centered as he lived in passion and compassion. Uh, when we read through the Gospels, we see Christ very passionate for, for the Word, very passionate for uh, the things of God, and then having compassion on people. And sometimes, again, going back to the Bible thumping kind of scenario, we reverse those things. We have passion for conversion. You know, and then the only thing we have compassion for is, what does my church teach? I believe all the fundamental 16 doctrines of the AOG and whatever sign is over your church, and we're going to tow the company line. Okay. Uh, S is for scripture. Uh, scripture, use the sword to defend the sheep and not, de- and, and not just destroy the wolves. Uh, one of the things we just, uh, not too long ago, did Timothy in our Bible study, and we went through the leadership qualities. And part of being a, a pastor or a leader in the church was to guide, guard, and graze the sheep. And in apologetics, you'll have to know the scriptures well enough in order to say, well, am I guiding, guarding, or grazing? Am I feeding? Am I defending? Or am, am I stopping from somebody coming in? really messing up things. Okay, well now we're going to get to something really special. Not like we haven't had any specialness yet. Uh, One of the main scriptures, and here's where we're going to do some Bible blistering. Uh, Somebody read for me Jude, verses 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. (coughs) For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Okay. And if you go read the rest of the book of Jude, it gives you great information about these people that have secretly snuck in. But one of the things that's in there, it says, contend for the faith. Now, just randomly, if you just heard the word contend, what does that remind you of our current time? Boxing. 
contending, contender. So in this word here, it means we there's something to fight for. And what do we fight for? The faith. Okay. I'm just going to use scripture. No, no mind tricks in this one. Okay. <laughs> if it's in the scripture, that's what I'm looking for. And so we contend for the faith. So now we know what we fight for and that we're supposed to fight for it. And this is a direct mandate. And just small plug. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to do this right, right here. Part, I'll give you my testimony of why I'm qualified as an apologetist. Maybe that, that will help so people won't be as scared. Or maybe it'll make them more scared. I don't know. Um, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Now I'm telling my age. I've been a Christian for 30 years, grew up in church, um, and pretty much I went to Bible school, a couple of them, but yet when I was growing up, I got into listening to some of the hearsay and the uh, Christian urban legends, so I started spreading apocalyptic uh, mayhem in my high school, and I wasn't very good about it, and I, I actually... I could say I was trying to put notches on my Bible. So what I'm talking about here also comes from my life experience. Um, I came to a point in my time of life where the church where I was at didn't guide and didn't guard, and grazing was minimal. And this is after Bible school. And in this regard, they allowed different false teachers to come in and have platforms to speak and say things. So basically, all said and done, and I'll explain more of this as we get, get closer to that portion in the, the, the sessions, I learned how to squat and give birth to things in the spirit. And yeah, if you don't understand, it's okay, but we'll explain later. And, and, and more than travailing, this is better than travailing. And uh, it was very spiritually abusive, okay? And we even had this healing team that was a part of. And one of the things that would happen is this one lady said that because we played music and the lights were on too bright, it was disturbing the Holy Spirit from properly healing people. And we needed the monogram throw rug so that when we lay hands on people, we expected them to fall down. And, and I was in a conflict because one thing is I knew the scripture. And at this point, uh, and up to this, my, this point in my life right now, I read through the Bible uh, 32 times, you know, different translations. So, so again, there's something inside of me, and I think that's the only thing that kept me from absolutely, completely falling apart. And this particular group in the church that I belong to, two of them are in insane asylums now, because this is what will happen when you allow false teachings to come in and rule over your life, and you let people take away your Bible and give you personal prophecy books and then they prophesy over your life and prophesy over your life and then you do exactly what they tell you and you make life decisions based upon that. Um, So finally I came to a point in my life where everything just absolutely collapsed and then that's where I got to the part of, you know, uh, telling people I just want to put a gun to my head and stuff like that. And I just felt totally useless and, and abused and used and I basically thought the church wasn't real anymore. And then I found uh, in San Jose a really cool church. And the way I found it was because I went to Christian concerts. And I saw these people there all the time. And they knew me from that. And I go, you know what? They have to go to church somewhere. And I see them at these concerts all the time. So they're people I want to hang out with. So I asked them. I go, where do you guys go to church? And I went. And it was a really cool church in that it kind of reminds me somewhat of regeneration. The fact that 
you had people wearing cowboy hats and nobody was ripping the hats off of their heads because they're in God's house. And then you had punk mohawks and, you know, people, it was just a great variety of people. And they actually, from the pulpit, uh, in the pulpit series, were preaching from the book of Judges. And in the college career class, they were doing R.C. Sprawl's uh, uh, holiness series. So like, wow, this seems healthy, you know. And then it, it was just amazing to me how they helped me heal. You know, I knew God didn't forsake me, but I definitely felt like the church had forsaken me and that that wasn't real. Uh, but again, one of the things that kept me from just absolutely losing it, because I sure did get medicated, that's for sure, is the idea of scripture. That was the thing that was constant in my life that I could hold on to. And, and I think, uh, like Jesus says, the truth will set you free. The, those, those are concepts that we need to have within us. So one of the questions, you know, that's asked, and we'll go look at First uh, Peter chapter 3. And somebody read First Peter 13 through 18. Cool. So now we read this passage and we're pretty familiar. Oh, give a hope, you know, answer of hope. The answer of hope is the gospel. So when you give the gospel, it should be hopeful. You know, yeah, we should have the parts where it says, you know, there's a hell. You know, so I'm not abdicating saying don't say anything about hell to anybody. Because like if you uh, go read Jude, one of the things it says uh, is for some you dangle them over the fire and hate everything about them. But then it also says you're supposed to lavish mercy upon some. So some people get the message by dangling their feet over the fire. And some people get the message by washing their feet. So either way, you've got to deal with people's feet. Uh, but in, and we read this, it says that we're to give hope, okay? If I were to ask everyone in this class, but ask yourself this question, are you a Christian? Hopefully the answer is yes. Now the next question that becomes the hurdle and then usually explodes into the Jedi moments is, why are you a Christian? And, and I've asked this question of people because I've had people sit down in my Bible study or just on the street because they'll come up to me and say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, cool. You know, we're, you know, either I'll find out what flavor. I say, well, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to any church. I don't need that institution. Mm, okay. So why are you a Christian? Because I don't go to R-rated movies. I don't smoke. I drink, but only beer, but not hard liquor. And, you know, you, you start getting all these, you know, exclusions and, and all these issues and what it becomes is what Christ, uh, it's not what Christ has done, but what they're doing. And if your Christianity is based on, here's what I've done in my life. 
then just like it says in Ephesians, you're boasting that you've saved yourself. And we're not saved by our boasting. We're saved by what Christ has done. It's grace and faith. And if we remember, God's riches at Christ's expense. You have that, that exposure of saying, you know what? I have something that's real. I have something that Christ did for me, and that's why I'm a Christian. You know, it could be whatever church, you know. Also, part of my testimony is, you know, I just really bash people that were anything other than my denomination. Not that they said I could do that, but I sure felt that way because of how they said things. So, basically, in belonging to the Assemblies of God, I knew that maybe Baptists were kind of saved, and but they just didn't have the Holy Spirit. And then anybody else was just marginal, frozen, and didn't have anything of God very well. And then if you're a Catholic, of course, that was the Antichrist. So, you know, played pin the tail on the Antichrist way too much in high school. So I had a really warped view of what it meant to be that. And again, it comes back to being in the scriptures. Another part of my testimony for apologetics is... um, Fairly recently, I went to some funerals and to other outings where managed to re-encounter some of the people who were my Sunday school teachers. And it's a very interesting comment. And, and I don't, re- you know, and I asked my mom, I go, is that really true? She goes, yeah. And so the comment basically was, oh, it's good to see you, Brother Harold. It's good to see you. What are you doing with your life? You know, and saying all the things that I'm doing. And he goes, and inevitably, this was the, 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 the final bio line on that. I really hated you having, having you in my Sunday school class. I go, why? Because I would have to study three or four times harder because you're the kid who asked all these questions. You weren't happy with the flannel graph. You weren't happy that this was up there. You have to say why. And that's one of the things of apologetics is we have to ask these questions. We have to ask hard questions. And sometimes... You know, that's part of understanding, like, if somebody's false or not. God is challengeable. Truth is challengeable. And so when we go back to the Peter thing about giving the gospel, can you see the gospel in what we just read in Peter? You know, he says, here's Jesus crucified. Here's Jesus what he did. Here's what the Holy Spirit does through Jesus. So when we go through scripture, one of the things that we should look for, because I think it's in every book, is the gospel. In every book of the Bible, there's the hope of who Christ is and what he'll do for our lives. In some places, it's more obvious than others. In other places, you have to dig a little deeper. So when it comes to the gospel, there's a couple things I want to say. Uh, Evangelism and being a missionary is the taking of the gospel. Preaching and teaching is the telling of the gospel. Theology is the thinking of the gospel. Discipleship is the learning of the gospel, and apologetics is the defending of the gospel. So, again, this class will have some theology, we'll have some evangelism, we'll have all these aspects, but primarily we're going to talk about what is the gospel. And hopefully you can uh, figure out for yourselves, and if you can't, we'll help you. That's the whole point in apologetics. I'm going to read something out of C.S. Lewis, The Silver Chair to understand more about apologetics. Can you tell that I'm a very media-driven person? That's okay. Uh, In the silver chair, they're down in the cave, uh, the queen of the underland, 
and she's thrown this poisonous gas or incense kind of thing into a fire and she's strumming a harp and the, uh, they're getting them to forget uh, Jill the prince that they've just released from the silver chair you know they're starting to forget why did they go down there what was their mission and all truth is becoming blurred as she plays it this harp or this instrument and then the sweet smelling incense is coming up and their mind is starting to cloud and get distorted and then the witch asks certain questions she goes well you say there's another place what is that Narnia we think it's Narnia you know and it starts this telling of what they think is real and the witch starts to twist it and warp and say you just have a great imagination. There's no such place as a, a overworld, and there's no such place as Narnia. But there's a sun. Well, what's a sun? Well, it's kind of like a lamp, and it's kind of like this. It says, well, you just think there's a sun because you've seen a lamp. And then, well, what else is in this world? And she's, like, taunting him, saying, oh, you children have great imaginations. And she says, well, there's this, this being called Aslan. Well, what's an Aslan? It's a lion. Well, what's a lion? Well, it's kind of like a big cat with a horse's mane, but not exactly a horse's mane. And she goes, well, the only reason you think there's a lion named Aslan is because you've seen a cat. I got a cat right here. But then one of the creatures that's with him, which is like this swamp guy, uh, Puddle Glum, finally gets real upset at all this, and he goes, I know what's right. I know what's right. And he stomps out the fire. And uh, let's see if I find my page here. Here we go. Find my page. Uh, the witch shook her head. I see, she said, that we should do better with uh, your lion, as you call it, that we did with your son. We have seen lamps, and you imagined a bigger and better lamp and called it the sun. You've seen cats, and now you want a bigger and better cat, and it's called a lion. Well, it's pretty make-believe, though, to say, uh, to say truth. It would, it would suit you better if you were younger. And look how you can put nothing into your make-believe without copying it from the real world, the world of mine, which is the only world. But even you children are too old for such play. As for you, my lord prince, thou art a man full-grown, uh, and she says, fie upon you. I don't know what that English word means, but hopefully it's not a bad one. Are you not ashamed of such toys? Come, all of you, put away these childish tricks. I have work for you all in the real world. There is no Narnia, there is no overworld, no sky, no sun, no Aslan. And now to bed all, and let us begin a wiser life tomorrow. But first to bed, to sleep, deep sleep, soft pillows, sleep without foolish dreams. And then... Puddle, Puddle Glum steps on the fire and he burns his flesh and the burning of his flesh causes them to wake up from the slumber and overpower the scent of the thing and the strumming gets inconsistent with the witch and then basically they call her on, her, on all her stuff and then she turns into a serpent and tries to kill them all and then they try to and they get out. But the point being, that's what happens sometimes in apologetics. We get in these conversations, like the one I talked about with, you know, oh, I saw myself as a dust bunny going through my mother's nose and implanting into the fetus. You know, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? 
you know, how am I going to deal with it? And it comes down to dealing with truth. And again, it goes back to doing essentials. So if you go into the next page, or should be the next page. Oh, actually, let's go to ID for Truth, Christ in the Scripture. So now this is where I get to test your knowledge of Scripture a little bit. We got seven points. Can anybody tell me about Scripture and about Christ being eternal? What's Psalm 90 say? Okay. How about Scripture being eternal? Right, heaven and earth will pass away. Okay. Matthew 5. Is that Matthew 5? Yeah. Okay. How about unchanging? Malachi 3.6. Which is? By the way, your God do not change. Okay. And then, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How about the word being unchanging? It's okay. I'm just, I don't mean to put people on the spot, but it's okay. Okay, we'll go on to the next one. What about uh, logic without contradiction? That's basically saying, if I say this is a book, it can also be a glass of water. Okay. So where, where could we find the idea that Christ is always true? And that he's not... Christ is not Satan as well as Christ. Things to think about. Because this is, this is how we identify truth. Okay. So he's full of grace and truth. So he, 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 he's not going to contradict that. Christ is not going to say, you know, I'm this blackbird and I'm going to be put in a, in a box. And then, you know, or I was just born yesterday and now I'm eternal. There's not a contradiction in Christ's words. And then the Bible in itself doesn't contradict. But for finding the, the, the exact scripture for contradiction or logic without contradiction, I would have to say about when going through the Psalms where it talks about wisdom and knowledge. And like Psalms 119 is the, the greatest one that talks about the word being full of wisdom. Well, you can't have wisdom and foolishness. So, the Bible's not foolish and, and, and wise at the same time. How about transcending? How about... Which is? Okay. He's good. I like him. <laughs> so, so, again, one of the things that happens with truth, if I go back through these... Like somebody says, well, there are now absolutes. And that's what this list is about, saying here's some ways to deal with people who say there's no absolutes. Well, one, in order for us to have a discussion, there has to be some absolutes. Otherwise, you say pigeons, and I mean something else if I say pigeons. You know, if I say Jesus, what do you mean when you say Jesus? Okay? So one of the ideas of, of truth, it's eternal. Okay? It, ha- it always exists. Another part about truth, it's unchanging. It doesn't variate. It's always the same. 
again, the logic without contradiction. You don't have, uh, you know, one day here's the sun and the next day comes up a watermelon. You know, what, what's it's consistent. There, there's no illogical points to truth. Transcending. When we talk about transcending is right now we exist in this place. But truth, if I cease to exist or never existed, kind of like It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart, truth will continue. Truth will not cease to change. So like one of the things I told the girl that I was talking about, the cosmic dust bunnies, uh, I said, well, my truth is transcending, meaning if I cease to exist or never existed, this will always be. Christ will always be. Whereas the day that you're gone, you'll know what real truth is and you know that what you have only existed in the way that you made it. It's imaginary. Another part about truth is knowable. And I think hopefully all of us in this room, we know Christ, but we also need to know the scriptures. And and Christ is very knowable and the scriptures are very knowable. Uh, uh, Testable and accepts challenge. And one of the things that I'm going to put in the video next is when Yoda spoke about saying, you will be afraid, this is the part in the class where I'm going to show some things and I'm going to show some clips. And basically, uh, this is what happens when you uh, question. So like if Josh comes up to me and he says, oh, yeah, I go to this and this kind of thing. I'm like, oh, well, what do you believe? And then he starts to say these things like, you know, I don't remember Jesus, you know, coming and becoming an, the Michael Archangel guy after he died and, you know, that he's now the Holy Spirit come back later. We, we have to say, you know, I don't believe that. You have to show me. And, and one of the places we have to be shown from is Scripture. Now, the next time we have the class, we're going to talk about the authority of Scripture. And some people debate the idea should we talk about authority of scripture or should we talk about the existence of God and I think with this class we can go with authority of scripture first but we should be able to accept challenges when when a cult comes up they're actually challenging you saying you're wrong and what we have is better our island is stable you're on a sinking ship and they want you to come over to them they want you to renounce everything and go to them because they're the only place where you can be saved Example, San Francisco Church of Christ International. They, they basically say there is no salvation outside of their organization or group. And in order to be saved, you must be discipled by them and you must be baptized by them. So anybody tell me a problem with that statement already? Okay. Right. Anything else wrong with that statement? In order, Well, works how? Right. So going back to that list thing that I talked about, so that could include speaking in tongues, you know, giving 20% tithing, you know, which they do. So that's another thing. Because then then if you become a bad disciple, then you're removed out of salvation by them. So they basically determine who's saved and who's not. And then you're encouraged not to talk to any of your family members and you're cut off from any other Christian people. And right now where I work at, I am dialoguing with somebody who belongs to that particular church. And I've given the strictest warning. I go, do not tell 
the leaders of your church that you are talking to me because you will be relocated because other people I've talked to from this particular organization have been relocated. Okay, so it's very important that you find out who you're talking to and, and be able to test and challenge, but also be careful because you don't want to put them in harm and have them relocated. Uh, last thing about truth, uh, it's reliable and trustworthy. When, when I trust Jesus Christ and I trust his word, I, I'm not going to lose anything. You know, I might get scarred up in the moment of the way this world puts me through, kind of like poor uh, Puddle Glum. You know, he burned his foot, but he burned his foot believing the truth and for the reason of saving his friends and to hopefully get them out of the mist the incense of stupor that was basically clouding their minds from thinking about truth. Okay, so now in the truthness of uh, what uh, Yoda said, this is what happens when you do apologetics. Um, another part of my testimony is the places, the churches where I've been, where I said, excuse me, Pastor, I don't understand what you mean that uh, there's generational curses and that there's this spirit of nicotine and alcoholism and all this stuff following my family because my grandfather, you know, was a tobacco farmer or this kind of thing. And now this spirit has to be cast out of me and now I have to pay 120 bucks on a weekend to get it cast out of me. Okay, not going to happen. I don't have 120 bucks, so it's not going to happen. I'd rather live with it. Uh, you know... Uh, Here's a really good one. So, again, if you get offended, I'm sorry, but these are the exact words. I had one friend who went up. In fact, this was the church where we were squatting and giving birth. So there was already problems. Uh, He went up, and he basically made his confession to the the youth pastor, who's a very loud person, and said, you know, I'm having problems with lust. And, you know, so the pastor, and this is in front of big congregation Sunday night. There's a couple hundred people grapples him by the head and he says come out of him you spirit of masturbation and say over and over and over again until finally the guy my friend he fell on the floor purposely just so he would stop saying that you know and so people get into these weird situations but if you were to challenge that person say hey where in the bible says there's that spirit you know i thought that was sin and that i just need to repent and you're supposed to pray for me and i'll be forgiven you know, so people confuse sin with spirits and things like that. And that will be another session where we talk about that specifically. But when you do these kinds of things, you'll be called all kinds of names. So one of the names I've been called is um, I've been told that I make the Bible the, the third person of the Trinity, that I'm a Bible idolater. And if anybody would like to come see my Bible and see how idolatrous it is, let's see if I pull this out here uh i do have uh like band stickers in my bible so i'm a very bad bible idolater there's some bible idolatry right there echoing green (laughs) so again i'm not a good bible idolater uh and i get called all these weird names and stuff and i'm just like you know i want you to point me to the scripture of why i'm wrong if you can point me to the scripture of why i'm wrong i just totally capitulate and you know I just don't understand. I don't understand why you want me to squat on the ground and give birth to things in the spirit. I don't understand why you want me to go on a weekend retreat 
and make sure I don't have any rock music or, you know, throw away all my PG-13 movies and, you know, I don't understand. Christ wants me to have my life abundantly and live it abundantly and to walk in truth. Um, uh, one more scripture before I throw in some of my crazy videos. Um, we go to, um, actually we just go through a few of them. If you look at Matthew 22, 23 through 33, there's a story of Jesus with the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection, which I think is an essential truth. And before he answers their question and says why they're full of stuff, he basically says, the reason you err, the reason you make mistakes, you Pharisees and Sadducees, is because of two things. What are those two things? Can you find those two things? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Amen. Okay. And in knowing that, that's what we have to do. Because I've been to churches where they're all about the power, all about the glory. You know, call it down. Don't leave the altar till you have your, your unction and function in the Holy Spirit and splatter in the bladder and whatever else they want. But they don't know Scripture. And then you go to other churches where they're all about Scripture and they've forgotten the idea. Well, the things of God died off with the apostles. You know, so don't pray for any healing. Don't pray for anything. You just got to... You know, trust in all the, uh, the I call it fatalism, the way they live their lives. But, you know, God is predestined. So if you're in pain, God predestined it. So you suffer, you know, or you're supposed to live long. So don't worry about it. But again, we have to tie these things together. And part of tying those things together, uh, just real briefly, if you look in Ephesians 5, 25 through 26 and Titus 3, 5. You have, what does the Word do? And what does the Spirit do? Can anybody tell me from those scriptures? Ephesians 5, 25 through 26, and then Titus 3, 5. (coughs) We're cleansed by God's Word, according to Ephesians. And what happens in 3, 5, Titus? Right. So here, again, is... This duality of the Holy Spirit's work and the Word of God washing our spirits. So part of the main problem with us in Christianity and stuff... Am I running out of time? Or did I run out of time? He's looking. Okay. So basically I just want to say that that washing is what needs to happen in our lives for us to do apologetics correctly and be in truth. And let's see if I can do this right. Wonders and miracles. Why the gold, honestly, I'm really asking this. You think heaven's door opened a crack and a little of the street dirt came down on you? Him is also hoping to obtain a Holy Ghost machine gun with which to kill his critics, whom he calls heretics. He graciously says, you stink. You stink, frankly. That's the way I think about it. Sometimes I wish God give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'll blow your head off. Okay, so that's one. You can only take it in small doses. Uh, He's talking about anybody who's a critic to his ministry or to TBN. He wishes he had a Holy Ghost machine gun to blow your heads off because you stink for dare challenging him on his version of truth. This one comes from the Brownsville Revival. You get a flavor of Brownsville Revival. And a message from the pastor of the church to all of us included to Hank Hanegraaff. 
And if you need an explanation of what it's about, I'll tell you. I got a feeling Birmingham will never be the same, man. To a national awakening. It's now five years later, and that hasn't happened because I think he forgot some of the principles of truth about contradiction. Uh, if you need an explanation of what was really going on there, I'd be glad to talk to you. But I think class time is over? No? Yeah? Okay. So, any questions? Comments? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you want to record the, the question? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's going on in this video is what people call the anointing of God is coming on them. And they're claiming that God is coming on them so that they lose control of their body and sometimes bodily functions, even in their voice, uh, even in their actions. So even currently, there's a church that just this last summer uh, had something. I have on my church list, only a few churches that are in the quarantine category, and I have some churches that are in the cautionary category. And Fremont First Assembly of God Church is in the quarantine category because I went and saw similar things, but even more so, they claimed angel feathers were coming down from the ceiling. They claimed uh, glory dust, like we heard a little bit about there. The, w the door of heaven was cracking open. I think something else was cracking open. Um, they had people slithering on the ground like serpents. They had people scratching their feet and, and with their arms like this, clucking like chickens. And Holy Ghost dentistry, where they said their teeth were being filled and operated on by uh, the Holy Spirit. And so God was pulling gold caps in their teeth. So I think God is like really into uh, rap music because he's making everybody look like Jay-Z. Um, and just on and on, all these things would happen. But one of the parts of truth is saying, well... If God is real, he does miracles. And all I saw was just sham. Because one of the things that happened with, with that, which is similar to this, is there's all this underground, you know, telling everybody, this is what you're going to believe and this is what you're going to say. And some of my friends who are pastors on staff at that church who are no longer there, they came to me in private and said, you know what? We've been ordered by the senior pastor here that if we do not comply and if we question what's going on here, to go find another job. And so basically they kept their jobs under great, with a gun to their head. And he says, you will be here and you will support this revival things that we're doing, even if you have to just park cars or just be in the audiovisual room. But you will be here and you will support. And to me, going back to the idea of truth, there's no truth if you can't trust it. And I think that was a severe lack of truth. In the Brownsville, what we're watching is they claim uh, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But what's kind of interesting about Brownsville is when the thing in Toronto happened that Todd was describing earlier, where everybody's laughing, they push all the chairs aside, and you know they're worried about manifestations. The Assemblies of God basically said, well, that's, that's nothing. That's just, you know, that's just people being made up. But then when it happens in an Assemblies of God church, the Assembly of God quickly said, oh, this is a revival. This is what we've been waiting for. And so it gave it the credentials to be real. So thousands of people went. I have an email, and I had some friends of mine that used to belong to there that I helped to get out. Uh, one of the emails 
a, a friend that didn't get out is they drove from New Jersey down to Florida where this church is at and basically like 12-hour car ride, stood in hours, uh, eight hours in line to get into church because the church is always packed out and the services go like for four to six hours. So like if you wait for two services, that's all day long. And then they go through all this. People are convulsing. People are, are vibrating. People are, you know, twitching and all kinds of stuff. And we'll see more of this later. Like when you see the, um, when they do water baptisms, it looks like a shark attack in the baptismal tank. I mean, the water is flaying and people are falling out everywhere. And, and what, what they say, and, and this will be interesting because when we talk about who God is, their version of the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is this tangible thing. So, say, if I say this shirt is the Holy Spirit, and then I give it to Josh, now he has the Holy Spirit, and now he can give it to somebody else. Uh, one person that a previous church I was at came and spoke, and they basically said, you know, and this is one of those times where I just sat in the back, just like the heat was rolling off of me because I was so angry at what this person was doing to the scripture. He basically said, like, uh, the ark uh, that Noah was in was a coffin, and then that explained why we all had to be dead in Christ and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what? You know, and then he claimed all this miraculous healing and that he was studying under somebody who had raised people from the dead. And so he calls for this big song and dance and show to come up for people to be prayed for. And, of course, I'm the Lone Ranger way back there, not going up front. And so he made a comment indirectly to me. I always get all these indirect comments from the pulpit sometimes where he basically said, well, if you want to uh, receive what other people have received up here, you can come soak up some of the leftovers that are still on the floor. You know, at that point, I was just about ready to punch the guy because, first of all, that's the Holy Spirit you're talking about. And two, you're being very blasphemous and saying that he's like little leftover pieces that I can go touch and pick up like a sponge. And I was just like, ugh. Uh, So basically, when people talk about anointing, I think they're using God's name in vain because you read through 1 John. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the anointing. And they're basically saying, if this is anointed, that's not anointed. They're saying, this is a God, this is not of God. And usually when Benny Hinn and these other people that we'll see later are on, they all claim to be anointed, and they claim that anybody that challenges them on what they're teaching is not anointed, and that we have devils and everything, and needs to be cast out, and so forth and so on. Did that explain what was going on there? Oh, 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 okay. I think all of the above in some cases because like like this particular thing that I went to in Fremont with the angel feathers and all that, in the first like 20 rows of seats, they had their, you know, the fan club that pays $300 a month to be on the special list. So they get reserved seating. And so most of the miracles that were happening came out of the reserved seating. So, you know... Like, there was this one big guy, and he said his, you know, uh, ankles had been healed, and he was jumping up and down on the stage, and then he said it took him, like, you know, takes him 10, 15 minutes to, to tie his shoes, and I'm looking at the size of the guy, I'm going, I don't think Jesus healed the right part for you to be able to tie your shoes down any quicker, because 
you're you're huge. You know, the guy was just up and up and down. But then right next to him, which was really sad, is this girl who was obviously crippled. And she was praying and she was shuddering and trying to receive and take the Holy Spirit. As he's calling out these miracles. Guess what didn't happen? And she was horribly devastated. That's the part that, that, that grips me the most is when I go see these things. And what they show on TV is they show all the people who are really into it, believing it. But they don't show you the, the wreckage and devastation of people that are left behind. And, and that's the part that when we do apologetics, we have to be able to point to that and say, look, how, how can you say you have all these healings and stuff and claim that God is doing this when you're leaving this one totally ignored? I went to one thing, which was at Jubilee Christian Center. They had Benny Hinn. They had Creflo Dollar. They had Morris Cirillo. They had a wheelchair section. And then Morris Cirillo had this stampede of people to come up front for the anointing. And they trampled the deaf section. They, all the wheelchairs got tousled. And I'm just like, oh! And then afterwards, he pronounced everybody healed and everybody, you know, was good. And there was one lady on stage, and these people were angry at me because I wouldn't stand up and applaud with them at all the points. And they, again, they turned around to me and said I was disturbing the spirit. I go, I haven't said one word. So I'm not going to these places and yelling, boo, or going like that. Not like I do with Todd. But, <laughs> but you know what? I'm just there. I'm taking notes. I'm just taking down the evidence of what these people are saying. And and like in in this particular case, he had everybody go up front. And during his message, he says, um, the answer is always Jesus, you know. But then when he got them all up front and then he goes, who has the power? And the crowd, because they were all, like you said, set up or geared to or hypnotized. They said Jesus. And then he goes, no, you're wrong. You have the power. Say it now. And then 5,000 people lifted their hands in the air like the Third Reich and go, I have the power, and chanted it over and over again. It was so scary. And then these people had the nerve to get up and t- tell me I disturbed the spirit by me taking notes and sitting there. And then I pointed to something that was on the stage. There was this lady who went up there who was very crippled, and she got touched. And more Cirillo pronounced everybody healed that went up there and got touched by him. Not everybody in the building, but everybody that went up there. And I go, then explain to me why that person is there. And what happened was this lady was drunk in the spirit trying to get up, or at least they thought she was drunk in the spirit. So other people were laughing at her and pointing at her. Well, what the problem was, she was reaching for her crutches because she had MS. And she couldn't reach them. So she was trying to get up. But other people thought she was doing the floppy thing like the lady we saw in the video. And then finally some ushers realized what was going on, picked her up, put her back on her crutches, and she came down. I go, tell me, why wasn't she healed? You know, I'm pointing, obviously, he pronounced everybody healed. So one is because he's a false prophet. I think you're not going to say that because you invested too much into him and you don't want anything to turn away from it. And at that point, they start screaming at me in tongues and stuff. I go, well, it's the end of the conversation because I'm trying to tell you what is truth and you're unwilling to do it. Then I went down into the lobby and, again, you avoid things of negative confessions at these type of particular deals. And the man, one of the wheelchairs that was a heavy-duty wheelchair was the only one I still saw after the stampede. The man was out in the lobby, and there was like a negative space around him. 
even though this lobby's full, everybody was walking around him and just left like a zero area of people. And I went up to him. I go, you know what? Christ loves you. And Christ uh, wants you to serve him as you are. And one day you'll be set free from this. But coming here is not going to set you free. And I, you know, and I just prayed real quick for him. And I go, I don't know where your friends are or the people who brought you. But don't let them bring you to something like this again. And why? Everybody's spending their money buying all the books, buying all the tapes, but they're avoiding this person. Why? Because that's a negative confession. You, you can't see that and still believe in more surreal. You can't see that and still believe in Benny Hinn. You can't see that and believe in Creflo Dollar. And Creflo's just like, you know, here's, here's a bad use of scripture. Uh, saw Creflo Dollar and how he gets this to happen, I think it's kind of like what you said, the shield thing. Jubilee is like this. 50 foot long stage with three three steps and in the middle of his speaking people come down and start emptying their pockets of their money and checks and stuff and start throwing it all over the platform and then like about halfway through people doing that he goes do you see this I didn't ask for this but he did but not directly and then he says I didn't ask for this but any of you pastors out there who try to recreate that, or those of you who haven't given, I got one word for you. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. And then it just kind of piles up with more people coming up there because Ananias and Sapphira held back, and the Holy Spirit said, because you've lied to me, you're gone. And so he implies that they will be dead if they don't give the money out of their pocket if God has been speaking to them. Usually what I put in the offering is Acts 8.20, which says, may you and your money go to hell for thinking you can buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's when I'm in a really good mood. Any other questions? James. Okay, well, there will be a field trip to those who be able to control themselves and, and stomach things. Because, like I said... It's against the law to go disturb a service, so they're they're quite a, quite aware. James. I was wondering, like, um, so how do you like um, how do you like like those kind of things that you see, um, like that you believe to be heresy? Like, how do you see like real life miracles that you see from the Holy Spirit and not um, like not believing or not like things that go, might go against your rational mind? Uh huh. Yeah. Usually, I, I say a real miracle doesn't need any annunciation. You see it and you know that's a miracle from God. There's no, well, I wonder how they did that. You know, like one of my fo- kind of, maybe this is what's kind of helped me in this kind of situation is I love magic. Okay. I love illusionists. I like seeing magicians. And you know what? When you go see a magician, you're paying to be deceived. That is a purposeful deception for entertainment. But going to church is not where you go give your tithing and offering to be purposely deceived. There you should have truth and and truth that will help you live your life and go on. But when these people go, they're going for a major show. They're going for total Las Vegas hypnotists and and illusionary stuff. I mean, like with the angel feathers that I'm talking about, I saw the feathers fall from, from the ceiling. You know, it wasn't like they pulled one out and they put it on somebody. It's, I saw them fall. I'm like, 
okay, this is really going to tick me off. And, and then you have to find the key people. Who are the maintenance people? I found the maintenance person. And you know what? <laughs> Afterwards, the pastor ordered them to go up on the roof to find out where the feathers were coming from. They found out there was all this buildup in the, the air, air duct intakes, right? And pigeons nesting up there and all this stuff. There's pigeons on the floor, too, in the church, but that's a whole other aspect. And, and the pastor ordered them not to tell anyone what they found and to leave it as it was. You know? So, again, that is the lie rather than going back to our little apologetics thing. Don't make up stuff. Don't lie about things. And, and this pastor's known that those have been there. And constantly I hear people from that church say, oh, yeah, the Lord moves and manifests in strange ways in our church, and we've had angel feathers, and we had this. I go, you know what? I talked to a board member. There was one board member, but he's not a board member anymore, who, who basically said, hey, we found pigeons up there. So he didn't get the memo about not telling anybody, and so he was dismissed. And I go, but, but I go, why does your church still propagate this testimony of angel feathers if it's not true and you know it's not true? Where are the people to stand up to that pastor? They're all afraid of him. So the last time we were there, and to explain even more, there was Holy Ghost fire tunnels that they did. And in these Holy Ghost fire tunnels, people just went through for the like the car wash version of being yelled at in tongues and having hands laid on them. So you went through one tunnel for uh, generational curses. You went through one tunnel to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You went through one tunnel for your finances. And you went through one tunnel to be healed. And then they had the bo- anointed body catchers to pull people out if they fell through, if they couldn't go through the whole tunnel. And here's all these people screaming and yelling. And my friend Mark, who comes with me sometimes to Regen, uh, saw somebody he knew sitting towards the back. And he went up to him and said, hey, I don't understand what's going on. And he said, well, why is this God? And, you know, do you understand that God is not the author of confusion and that there's order in the church and this kind of thing? Well, at that point, the guy's girlfriend went up to the front, got the pastor. He came back, and he started rebuking us for disturbing the service. So, And basically, I had to jump in at that point and go, well, I don't know how we're disturbing the service. My friend is talking to somebody he knows, and he's just showing him scripture. And he goes, this is not the time or place for it. <laughs> and, then he's, I, and then I said, well, how are we disturbing the service? Because you have a couple hundred people screaming. You know, and writhing on the ground, and we're just back here. I mean, we're not like even up front and right in people's faces. We're just like 50 rows back. You know, this is a huge church. We're 50 rows back, close to the soundboard. And he says we're disturbing the service. I guess our Bible page turning was too loud.